Hey, Internet, I'm Jason, and he's Rich, and you're listening to Remastered, the podcast where we revisit those fond memories of the 1980s and 90s and remaster them, huh? Remaster them through some pretty damned rose-tinted glasses. Tonight we're talking about pop culture's manly men, and one in particular. Rich, I asked some friends at work and online who they would ID as the ideal 80s and 90s manly man, and I'm curious to, to, to find out if you can guess what some of those guesses were. I'm assuming it's not... Well, I can guess who some of them were, because there's some obvious ones. I actually am willing to bet that maybe Tom Selleck didn't come up. He did. But not right away. No, he was five or six down the list. But my friend Victor, who runs the Friday Night Party Line podcast, he brought up Selleck and posted a big, gorgeous picture of him. The thing with Tom Selleck is what he didn't do so much of, that other guys did lots of, was blow shit up. So, well, he's uh, a very blow-shit-up guy, which I think we'll find out while we're talking about his connections to the NRA. Oh, right. <laughs> right, okay. So he personally is a blow-shit-up blow kind of guy, but Magnum he... P.I., very few explosions. Well, they're more than you might think. They were always shooting things up. I don't remember enough of Magnum <laughs> P.I., clearly. And there was that famous scene that's been parodied very recently on Archer where he uh, he kills somebody in cold blood and the episode ends with the still frame on his gun with the, the muzzle flash. Really? I didn't, yeah. I didn't know this. I need to look back into uh, Magnum now then. Well, the um, whole thing about Magnum was that he was a Vietnam vet. Right. And he was uh, back in Hawaii and, and operating as a PI. But a lot of it had to do with him dealing with his baggage from Vietnam. And that particular episode was about him hunting down a guy who had wronged him in Vietnam. God, you think you know a show. And yet it occurs to me now, I had no idea that he was a Vietnam vet. I just thought he was just this guy in Hawaii. Uh, it was a big, big part of it was him dealing with the, not necessarily post-traumatic uh, stress disorder, but um, a lot of the emotional baggage that came along. Right. But back to your original question. I think your your obvious ones are your, your Arnie's, your there Stallone's. You go. Good. Like I said, guys with big explosions. Dolph Lundgren. Oh, you didn't come up, but that's a good one. Um, is Bruce Willis? Yeah, Bruce Willis was blowing stuff up in the eighties. I suppose that Very started. Much. Yeah, that started with Die Hard, didn't it? Or right. maybe beforehand. Bruce um, Willis was the most commonly mentioned one when I talked to people. That was your trifecta of eighties action hero stars. Was Stallone. Schwarzenegger and Willis, of course, with Planet Hollywood and all associated gubbins that goes with it. Were, are and there any expendables connection, right? Yeah, yeah. Are there any big ones that I've missed? Anything? I, I suppose Chuck Norris. Uh oh, wow, he didn't come up at all. No, the the ones that did surface were, well, this one comes from from a girl, Roe from Atomic Trivia. Hang on, hang on, hang on, then, because I've missed a couple of obvious girlier ones. Patrick Swayze. <laughs> No, he didn't come up at all. All right. Fabio is who she said. Oh, Fabio. I'd never even in a million years said that, but fair enough. (laughs) Uh, Harrison Ford. Ah, yeah. Of course, Harrison Ford. Captain Kirk. Really? In the 80s? Well, I mean, he was still making Star Trek movies, and he was doing a few other projects in the 80s. Well, you got Uh, T.J. Hooker. Right. And then there was the sci-fi books that he wrote with tech the war. tv show tech war i was looking around at my bookshelf because i've got them all sitting over there <laughs> i couldn't remember <laughs> off the top of my head though uh 
Steve McQueen was a little bit earlier than that, but someone did mention him. And then the one that caught me by surprise more than any other was when I asked my wife. And she said Ted Danson. Do you know what? The ladies like Ted Danson. I don't know why I tried to get her to talk to me about what it was about Ted Danson that fascinated her so much, but I'm at a loss. Do you know what? We've we've recently been watching this series. God, it had Ted Danson in and Jason Schwartzman and uh, Zach Galifianakis, and I've completely forgotten what it was called. I think it's just been cancelled. But the point is, it's got Ted Danson. And bored to death on HBO. Bored to death. Yes, that was the one. So good, I couldn't remember the name. Actually, I didn't. I quite liked it. But we'd rarely get through an episode without something coming out of Alice in a kind of, hey, Ted Danson's looking good in this episode, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't really? know what is attractive about him, especially now because he's severely balding and he's quite bird-like. Oh, but he's got the white hair and everything. Um, I, I think I think women like the white hair. Yeah, I have noticed that too. And the older I get, I'm, I'm getting salt and pepper here. And I kind of like it. A yeah. lot of guys are insecure about that. But I noticed that uh, Lisa likes the salt and pepper look. You know what I mean? Yeah. You see, I think men can <laughs> mature. There are, you know, much much more than women, you see mature men. It's like wine. We get better with age in some cases. <laughs> there were a few guys, though, that I were, was really surprised that they didn't come up at all. I thought for sure, especially when I was asking people at work uh, i thought that sean connery would come up i think he's too early for them it, it could be but you know even in the 90s he was making movies like um what was the one with Catherine zeta jones where they oh, were entrapped entrapment right he, he was still doing that kind of thing in the rock yeah uh, he was doing action roles he, he won some sort of sexiest man in the world award on his 73rd birthday i believe Tom Cruise never came up. Hmm. I think he's ruined himself retrospectively. I, I think that the Scientology thing and the bouncing up and down on the couch on Oprah thing is uh, is uh, two two huge black marks against him. But the guy was still awesome. I mean, uh, you can call up Craig if you need to to get a second opinion on Top Gun. <laughs> I could as well. I could phone him and wake him up at twenty five past twelve in the middle of the week and just Craig, how awesome but, is Tom Cruise? And he'd, he'd reply. Does Craig know about Top Gun 3D? I don't know if he knows. I, I, <clears throat> I think he must. Because <laughs> I'm going to see it. It's going to happen. And Top Gun 2 as well. Yeah, I don't think that's ever going to pick up. It's, it's happening, dude. I, I, no, no, I refuse. There, there was something with Tom Cruise the other week about how they picked the plane. It's going to be an F-35 Phantom. My buddy Andrew, who is a big plane nut, we're talking about Top Gun. We both love that movie. And he was asking me how I would do the script for Top Gun 2. And the only way that I could think to make it work would be to have uh, an old Tom Cruise who's grown fat and is an alcoholic and divorced, what's-her-face, uh, Charlie. And is really just down on his luck and dealing with that emotional baggage still of Goose's death. And he can't get over it. Maybe the film actually ends with the sweet release of him killing himself. Oh, that's you know, that's that's what it's about. Oh, is that a bit much? Actually, of... I suggested that he, Goose's baby that he had with uh, what's her face there, Sleepless in Seattle, Meg Ryan. Yeah, that he teaches Goose's baby how to be a fighter pilot. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that passes the torch. 
it won't be like that. I'm going to look it up now. Top Gun 2. It's there on IMDb. Uh, oh, it has lots of question marks all over the... Ah, right. <laughs> right. They've put it up there like Amazon put things up. We think it might happen one day, so we'll let you pre-order it, so to speak. Maybe Clint Eastwood never came up in those in those uh, questions at all. I don't think he's ever been like a sexy man. I think that's... Is there ever been the sex symbol of Clint Eastwood? Like you'd have women fawning over him, that sort there, of thing. There was the Bridges of Madison County phase when he was quite the thing. Surely it was only the Bridges of Madison County. Now I need to look up Clint Eastwood. There's, there's, you know, the man with no name trilogy where he wasn't, it wasn't a sex symbol role, but dude looked good. I mean, I, I considered going gay for him a couple times. Really? <laughs> Did it come up? <laughs> you know, those, he keeps those calling. Yeah. <laughs> He's been sending stuff to work and everything. I've considered it, but. <laughs> but, uh, but there's Tom Selleck. He tops the list. I think as far as I'm concerned, he's the man. The the legend, the mustache. It is the mustache thing, isn't it? That I I've been. Do you know what? Since last, do you remember when when all the simply syndicated guys except me did the Movember thing? Right. And my problem with it was, I'm not prepared to look that dumb for that long. Like maybe if it was Movember Day, or something like that. It wasn't that I wasn't behind the course. I just didn't want to look that awful for a month. Based on the fact no single living human being looks better with a moustache than without one. And this has come up many times when you look at, like, Matt Damon in The Informant. Matt Damon is a good-looking guy. Did he look better with that moustache? No, he looked like an idiot. And he, he, what else was it? Just Bradley Cooper presenting the Oscars the other week. Allison would leave this house right now if Bradley Cooper came to collect her. But with a moustache, he looked like some kind of pervert. And and that that was my thing. I'm not having a mustache. Tom Selleck. Now, that's a different kettle of fish altogether. Well, the the mustache has a problem in that it's fallen from grace since the 80s. It was kind of quasi okay in the 90s, but ever since the turn of the millennium, it's just been completely passe. Tom Selleck is one of those guys who's bucked that trend because he went without for a little while, and now he's back. He did, didn't he? He was in Friends with No Moustache and things like that. Right. And he made a joke, too, I saw in an interview once where he said that he's acted without his moustache because, well, he was born without it. I thought that was pretty funny, but there, there was that very short window where he didn't have it. Now he's, uh, he's back in full swing with the moustache on, what's the name of the show, Blue Bloods, I think, on CBS. Yeah, that's been on here a little while as well. I thought it had been cancelled that, but now it looks like it's still going. I haven't watched it. It looks all no. right. It looks very gritty. Well, it looks like another CBS police drama. Yeah. Which there are plenty of. The, to say the least. Yeah. That's all that CBS <clears throat> seems to make. That and uh, the, uh, the Big Bang Theory. That's the the two things that CBS does. Right. I don't know. They all come from BitTorrent for me. That's... <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, we, we don't get those things here. I don't know of what you speak. Big Bang what? Don't know. Actually, that is on here, of course. I really like the Big Bang Theory, so I can't speak too ill of CBS. No, I love that show. Um, Tom Selleck tried doing comedy for a bit. That didn't go too well. I'm just looking at what that was called. Oh, I'm going to beg to differ with you right there. Folks, 
that was the one. Oh, I thought you were talking ill of three men and a baby. No, oh, I would never do that, sir. <laughs> I, I would I would never do that. No. Because I loved Three Men and a Baby. Three Men and a Baby is legendary. That 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 will always be around that film. That's just it's a great film. It's impossible to knock that film. And it oh, has God. Ted Danson. I was just gonna say it just occurred to me. Yeah, and Steve Gutenberg. It has no wonder I, women must love this film. It has those guys and a baby in it. It's it's and, oh. and then there was three men and a little lady, and now there's talk of a three men and a bride. See, there's been talk of that for years and years, though, because that kid would be like our age now or something. I don't know, not much younger than us, actually. No, she. I mean, she would be what? Like that movie was? Was that an '84 movie as well? I'm just looking. '87. 87, okay. So she would be 25. They could do this then. Yeah, they could do that. I'd be all on board. I'd wa- I'd certainly watch it when it was on TV. I don't know that I'd rush out to the cinema to see it, but I'd wa- yeah, I'd watch that film. Absolutely. Those are the only comedies, though, that he excelled at, because he, he had a good stretch of comedies for a while. Did you see Her Alibi? No. That was a terrific movie, and... To some degree, it was a spoof. It was kind of a, um, uh, um, almost a noirish movie, right? Where he was a mystery novel writer, I think. It's been a long time, so don't hold me to it. But um, he was narrating like he was writing a book about his experiences the entire time with this woman that um, some Russian descent. Uh, ran away from a circus and she was a spy, and he was protecting her. It was a great, great movie. For the 80s. From the, the director of Driving Miss Daisy. So, yeah. I'd give that a watch. I would. I've seen Quigley Down Under. There's that, another that's one got that's Alan kind Rickman. of a comedy. It, it, it's, it's a light-hearted film, isn't it? There's a couple of moments of tension, but it's all right. Folks just stands out for me because light batteries not included. It was another comedy film based around a concept that made you think, why would you do that, you sick fuck? That's a bit harsh, but it was that extreme. Because Folks is a comedy about a guy just living with his crazy dad dying of Alzheimer's. And you think, that's not funny. That's, that's not even a little bit funny. That you, <laughs> you, not to make that film, just like you know, batteries not included. Why did you have to make the the old woman, uh, Cena? What would why do that? That's not funny. That's not light-hearted and quirky like the rest of the film. It was funny in the eighties because I remember laughing at her in the eighties. But there's been a real shift. <laughs> oh, we did then. we did that in the eighties. I mean, what was the other one? Uh, the Dudley Moore one with Liza Minnelli, Arthur. Look at this. Self-destructive alcoholic man, isn't he funny? Watch how he destroys his life. <laughs> the homophobia in the 80s was pretty bad, too. It's shocking to go back and watch some of these movies, how they just throw the F word around. Yeah, there is a lot of that as well. Gosh, things have changed since then. It feels like a million years ago. And for the better. Yeah, to say the as, least. As much as we complain about politics, especially in the United States with the conservative movement and how very, very backward seeming a lot of their social policies seem, things have gotten a lot better. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, I, do you know, I, I saw this, there was one of, just a little meme picture doing the rounds on Facebook or 
something like that. And it was a what's wrong with the world today. And it was like in the 80s, our action heroes looked like this. And it was a picture of Stallone blowing something up with a large machine gun, muscly. And it said, and now our action heroes look like this. And it was the guy from Twilight being sparkly. Right. I saw that one too. And another great example, we've talked about it before on this show, is the Total Recall remake. The 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 physique and the mentality of the hero appears from from all the promo stuff that I've seen about the remake to be very very different from what it was in the eighties. Arnold is kind of a, an irrelevant archetype. It's very strange, isn't it? Why do you think that's happened? The big strong guy. Um, I hope that it's because we've move to a place where we think that being smarter is more important than being big. You see that. Yeah, I see your point that that's a very nice way of looking at it. I kind of missed the big guy blowing things up though. I, I don't, you know, I think it was maybe you could argue it's kind of become sort of a genre film thing now that within the action genre there is also those subset of films which is the big guy blowing stuff up because the rock still exists it's and, not and as accepted like anymore though because look at the expendables you would think that if if the 80s idea of manliness were still the defining idea of manliness then the expendables would have been the biggest movie ever made that's absolutely true i mean that also suffered from the fact that they're very old men now and it was of questionable quality. But you couldn't even say that because most of the big films from the 80s were also very questionable. Um, you know, so I don't know. It, it may, I, I think maybe it's, it's a lack of relatability. I can't relate to Arnie because I'm not that big guy. But I can relate to somebody who looks a bit more like me. Perhaps they're better looking. Perhaps. Um going through a situation and then I can relate to that. I think there is a little bit too of there being peaks and troughs in what women actually want. Because if you look at it over time, there'll be the periods where there's big muscle men and there'll be periods where there's willowy, more effeminate heroes. And I don't mean effeminate in a negative way. I just mean that they're slighter of build. They're based more on speed and agility you see, that's where I would always have put someone like Patrick Swayze. There's there's an element of, but look at his lovely hair involved yeah. in everything else. See, I, I, I doubt, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I don't think women would ever sort of fancy a guy like Arnie. I've never heard him described as a sexy, good-looking guy. Even well, can you imagine having, as, from a woman's perspective, having sex with Arnold Schwarzenegger? He would crush you. Exactly. It must be How weird. many thrusts could your pelvis take? So I just don't think that even then, even like the time Predator came out, I don't think it was an element of his attractiveness as a man. And now that seems to be an element of it. They need to be strikingly good looking. You need to be Robert Patterson and shiny and all that sort of thing. You know, I'm looking over my notes here and thinking about how you know that Tom Selleck was almost Indiana Jones, right? Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the screen footage for that, the the testing? I've not seen the footage. I've only ever seen a still of him in the hat, and now I think even that is a, bit, a Photoshop job. On YouTube, you can find the screen testing where he and Sean Young are going through the lines for when they first meet. <clears throat> and it's um, 
it's a little bit wet. He he was the first choice though. But the reason that I bring that up is because I think maybe Harrison Ford was one reason why there was a switch from brain, um, brawn and muscle to to brains and litheness. Because he wasn't a big guy. He wasn't all about muscles. Think about all the roles that he played from Han Solo to Indiana Jones to uh, Air Force One. He was always about thinking his way out of the trap. Yeah, he's the slightly better everyman. Does that make sense? I like that. That's a good way yeah. to put it. He's, he's, he's slightly cleverer than you would be. He's slightly better looking than you are. And he can fight a bit better than you would if you were pushed to it. But you can relate to him. He's that guy like you. Yeah, it goes back to what you were saying about relatability. But at the same time, <clears throat> I think that we all wish that we were just a tiny bit smarter or a tiny bit quicker or a tiny bit stronger that's within the realm of possibility none of us is ever going to be arnold schwarzenegger but i might i might someday ideally be harrison ford i could work up to that yeah it's a good goal in life i think but uh very interesting reading about how harrison ford was the second choice for that role all right yeah they've done Star Wars, of course. I I always felt it was just like, of course it would be him. I think it would. I had it been Tom Selleck, I think it would have been just as good a series of films. I'm not sure that it would have been because Tom Selleck is a little bit more understated than Harrison Ford. He doesn't have really so much swagger. He always relied on intensity. Right. And I think that Indiana Jones without cockiness is a really hard formula to pull off. You know, this this is going on my list of things I would do if I ever get infinite money. And that is make Raiders of the Lost Ark again with Tom Selleck in. <laughs> Still right now? He, he's 67, you know. Yeah, fuck it. it. This is my fantasy in which I have <laughs> unlimited money. Yeah, we can use Tom Selleck as India. And I'll, I wouldn't release it or anything like that. People it would could just be for your private yeah, collection. People could come over and watch it. It wouldn't be a secret, but I would have a copy of Tom Selleck playing Indiana Jones. If I was feeling up to it, I'd do the entire trilogy. Well, he's who George Lucas wanted, and George Lucas didn't want Harrison Ford because he didn't want, you know, he didn't want the crossover between the two roles between Han Solo and, and Indiana Jones. He wanted one iconic person for each. Uh, that makes sense. It, interestingly enough. It was because of the Magnum P.I. shooting schedule that Tom Selleck couldn't take on the Indiana Jones role. He must. But, yeah, you'd hate that, wouldn't you? You'd just yeah. be able to could be doing Indiana Jones. He, he could it. have done it, though, because after he reversed engines and turned down the role and said, no, I need to stick with Magnum P.I., that's when that writer's strike was. And it didn't pick up until after Indiana Jones had finished filming. Oh. Painful. So he. Yeah, he gave up the role of a lifetime for, I mean, let's be honest, Magnum served him well over the years. It, it was still an okay fallback choice. Oh, and it ran for eight years, I see. Yeah, yeah. Look how many episodes there were. God, loads. It was incredible how many episodes of Magnum that they made. And how much that character grew over the entire arc as well. I, I feel inspired to go back and watch them from the first one because it was never a show that I, I watched it wasn't like star trek it was just on i think my mum watched it i'm stunned um and so you know it was it was on from time to time i'm aware of the character and higgins and the dude with the helicopter and all of that 
bet. Right, there was TJ and who was his other friend? I can't remember. Mike, maybe? Mark? What have we got? We've got TC. TC, not TJ. Orville Rick Wright. Rick. Played by Larry Minetti. Yeah, that's the guy. And they speak very, very well of Tom Selleck, too, saying how good he was to the cast and how he decided to keep the show running instead of running off and making a whole bunch of movies. And he felt like he was obligated to the cast to not just throw their jobs by the curb. I thought that was a a pretty nice testament to him. It must be quite a, a, a weight to carry that, actually. When, you know, you start off doing a series, it becomes big, you become a bit of a name, and suddenly you get a call from your agent saying, would you like to do this film? And you actually... As much as you want to advance your own career, there might be hundreds of people relying on you playing that role and keeping that show going. So Right, because it's not like uh, any other job where you might just quit and go away and the business continues. If you're Tom Selleck and you quit Magnum PI, that's an entire company that goes down. I mean, for all intents and purposes, that's a, that's a show that stops being. Yeah, quite a thing. I mean, it's not even like it's an ensemble cast as well and one guy leaves. He is Magnum PI. Um, you know, quite a weight to carry. Mind you, I suppose you just go with it, don't you? You get, and then you get, it's it's rare that you get the stories like, and Tom Selleck was really considerate towards the crew and all that sort of thing. That's, that's the story. Whereas well, everything he, that you read shows that he was a really, I mean, he was... He was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was born in Detroit, and he was raised on traditional values, and you can tell that based on his political views. And like I mentioned, now he's he's taken up Charlton Heston's gun from his cold dead fingers. Oh, right. And he's moved into Charlton Heston's old spot with the NRA. And he's very, very much libertarian, very, very much in favor of letting people go and do what they want to do. He He's not quite Republican. He's just, you know, let let people do whatever they want. Fair enough. It's one of those. It's, I can't. Re- you can't argue with it on the face of it until you get some specifics, can you? Like what? So people shouldn't be able to do what they want. Well, yes, no, within reason. I need to know which things you object to specifically, because I don't know. Well, it's not come up because you're perfectly sane, Tom. Yeah, you know, he's one of those guys where it's hard. I I would imagine it would be hard to argue with him anyway, because it's how do you argue with a guy who's that well liked? Well, yeah. I mean, exactly. he could be a baby killer, and you'd be like, "Hi, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> Loved Magnum. Love the mustache. That's great, there. Yeah, it's hypnotic. Uh, but there's a famous segment. Did you ever see or hear or get wind of the Rosie O'Donnell show? I'm aware of the Rosie O'Donnell show. I've she never had seen a talk it. Show. Yeah, yeah, it was in the '90s, and. There's a famous segment where she had him on to plug a movie and ended up grilling him about gun rights. Right. And they get into a pretty heated fight where he's saying, look, you know, I I came on here to promote a movie. I'm not prepared to talk about gun rights. And she's she's pretty much screaming at him about you. You know, guns take lives. They kill babies. You don't need assault rifles. and pretty interesting to see the difference in how it was handled huh. see we just don't have this debate here well no all. guns there anymore no just just farmers and they just shoot dogs and stuff which is better the police like shooting people They they seem to be getting a taste for that in recent years 
the ones that have guns are out and about more and they keep shooting people they're not supposed to and stuff. So, uh, we'll see. yeah. It's, the, it's not good. Gun debate's a tough one. I've waffled on the gun debate over the years, and I still am kind of waffly about it because, you know, in America especially, guns are a problem in urban areas, and if every statistic that you can possibly dig up proves that any household where there is a gun is less safe than a household where there isn't a gun. But at the same time, I would say, you know, you, you have a right to own a gun for self-defense and you have a right to own one in much of rural America where bears are still a very real thing. Yeah, that's true. There are, I mean, we don't have the bears thing, but you know, farmers use them for legitimate purposes. Why shouldn't they be allowed a rifle? And they, well, they are. So, you know, that's good, but I'm not sure that people really realize how much of America really is wilderness. Like, uh, coyotes, wolves, bears, cougars, these these are things that like attack lots of people each year. Yeah, I am yeah, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. I remember that approach to San Francisco looking out the window at nothing for hours. And you just think there must be something. A building, a road, something anywhere. Nothing. Nothing out the window of that plane. There is dirt and bushes and maybe some trees. And it went on for Longer than I could conceive of there some being something going on for before You've, then. You would have flown over the Rocky Mountains and um, just, it's incredible wilderness out there. I'd love to get out there and backpack and hike. Oh, it, yeah, it looked incredible. You could just, you know, the idea of going across it probably on horseback as well, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it sounds great, but it is, there's a lot of places and yeah, have a gun there. Fair enough. It's just, it's the, I don't know, it's the guys that want to own them and bring them, oh, I don't know. We cut, this is a whole of the show. I, mean, <laughs> I won't, I won't drag us into gun debate because I, I don't, I don't have one and I don't want one, so I don't, I don't really care. No, well, one's, no one's ever shot me, I suppose. That's my that's, stance too, is, you know, I'll stand up for your right to own one, but there's not one in my house and there probably won't ever be. I, I would shoot myself with it. I, I can pretty <laughs> you know. I'm a looking-down-the-barrel-is-it-loaded kind of guy. Um, there are some days where I'm absolutely 100% sure that Lisa would shoot me. <laughs> that also that, yes. Um, so we don't, we don't need a gun in here. We're good. It's fine. I worry with the power tools we've got. <laughs> uh, is it safe, Rich? No, that's the problem. It's not safe. It's, we know this specifically, and it's always me that gets hurt always me just me just saying <sighs> again let's not go into that one <laughs> but uh tom Selleck, one of the reasons that he came to my mind when uh when i was thinking about manly men was because he's one of the ones that my mom kind of worshipped and idolized a little bit you know he was a big crush for the 80s housewife yeah, I think I, w- I would agree with you there. I th- Like I say, it was my mum that would have put on Magnum P.I. Enough said. You know, I it's it's just the way it was. I even remember at the, uh, the Murder, She Wrote experience at Universal Studios when we were there, there was the option of editing in what uh, Tom Selleck into an episode of Murder, She Wrote, so it looked like he was on a night out with uh, Angela Lansbury. That wasn't actually based on an episode, was it? I have no idea. 
No, I think I think for the joke of the, it's not a ride, is it? Uh, the thing that it was from something totally unrelated, but maybe the dialogue worked when you mixed it together, right? That sort of thing. Ah, I see. Okay. It was kind. It was as I remember it, because this was a long time ago. Um, it was kind of let's show you as making an episode, and here's the people who do the sound effects. Have fun doing sound effects, and then here's some editing and. All this sort of thing. And you just go and sit in front of different people doing stuff. It's all right. Yeah. And then you, you know, make a murder she wrote. I missed that <laughs> show as well. I think it's still on TV, actually. With Angela Lansbury. Yes, bless her. She is, she is brilliant. She's got... How is she not dead? I don't know. She must be a million years old now. She must have found a Lazarus pit or something to keep herself alive. I don't know. That's uh, that's pretty incredible. I wonder how, now. I've got to look up and see how old she is. She was born on October sixteenth, nineteen twenty-five. Oh, that's not as bad as I thought. Then maybe she's just looked older than she really is for a long time. She's very old. That's only eighty-five, eighty-seven. That's true, and she lived a life of of not exactly poverty, and those people tend to live longer. So, oh, she was in Mister Popper's Penguins. I didn't know she was still working. My gosh. Oh, she's done video games. And Nanny McPhee. God, she was still making Murder, She Wrote in 2003. My gosh. TV movie. Wow. That must have been some sort of a reunion thing. Well, there's a few of those as well. The Last Free Man, The Celtic Riddle. Gosh. And of course, uh, Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast as well. I think that's where our generation knows her from best. Because I never actually watched an episode of Murder, She Wrote. Oh, no, let me... I'm just scrolling back to see how far back I know Angela Lansbury from. 1986, Magnum P.I. Playing Jessica Fletcher. So it was a crossover ride. Oh, my God. I have to see that episode of Magnum P.I. so much now. Well, I know that Magnum... Oh, wait... Uh, nope, strike that. I'm probably misspeaking. I don't think Magnum's on Netflix. It's on iTunes here, and I'm quite willing to part with the two pounds or whatever it is just to see this one. <laughs> that as if that exists, a Murder, She Wrote Magnum PI crossover. Wow. Magnum, Magnum PI theme tune. I'll just search for Magnum PI. See, this opens the door for all kinds of other discussions about what would make a great 80s, 90s crossover show. Yeah. Because there there were, there used to be television events like that. It used to be a big thing that would pull in a lot of viewers. Remember when um, Family Matters crossed over with Step by Step? No. Oh, that was huge here, at least least for 12-year-old Jason. Family Matters, not Family Matters, Step by Step made it on, I think they showed maybe one season and it was kind of a 11 o'clock in the morning kind of thing, so you'd watch it if you didn't work. Oh, I see. See, here we had this whole cultural phenomenon that was TGIF, uh, thank goodness it's Friday, and that was on ABC, I'm pretty sure it was ABC, but um, it was a two-hour block every Friday night from 8 to 10 where there were just tons of really, really iconic uh, half-hour sitcoms strung back-to-back. And it was something that um, we'd get together with family friends uh, every single Friday night. We'd have pizza or Chinese or something and sit down, and we would watch that two-hour block. And it was like family-safe programming. It was 
pretty good. And it was back when shows each had a social message or something valuable that you were supposed to learn from the show. Uh, remember how that worked? Oh, yeah. But they had dinosaurs. Um, Love that show. Why can I only remember really sad ones now? <laughs> I was going to say Baby Talk with Scott Bio. I remember uh, that as well. I've seen that. <laughs> that was oh, such a bad show. But uh, Full House was in that block for a long time. That was popular in our house as well. See, now I'm Googling furiously to figure out TGIF shows. Um, I'm just seriously being disappointed that Magnum PI is not on iTunes. Oh, I'm going to have to order a DVD now. I need to see that episode. That's crazy. I can't imagine <laughs> ordering a Magnum PI DVD. That's a... Uh, that's something, some that's a weird layout of money right there, Rich. I know, isn't it? Just, but it's got, it's a crossover. My God, I love ah, crossovers. Boy Meets World. Boy Meets World was in that block, and Perfect Strangers. If if Boy Meets World would, would Home Improvement have been in there as well? I don't think so. No, I'm pretty sure that Home Improvement had its own weeknight time slot, ah, like right. uh, Tuesdays or Wednesdays or something like that, because. They were using um, Home Improvement to lead into other shows for a long time because it had such good ratings. Right, I see. See, I miss all this stuff with TV that you would have, you know, we'd never had a TGIF thing, but you'd have nights where you knew you could sit. I remember Friday nights, you would sit down in front of the TV at seven o'clock and not move until bedtime. And your parents knew that they could sit you in front of that TV for that long without having anything that was really seriously harmful. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, that's where we got home improvement was Friday night. You knew it was just it was just done and that would be for, followed by Roseanne and that would be followed by something else and by something else. And you'd go into light sort of ten, eleven o'clock at night. Usually all on channel four as well. You'd just stick it on and sit there and vegetate for hours. And we just don't have that now. Now we tend to have sort of there might be sort of one big name show on a channel each night. But even that has become a bit redundant. I don't know what channels things are on or what day of the week they're on or even what time they're on. I know that that program is there on that list on the DVR. And that's it. Yeah, digital cable kind of changed how all that works because now I just hit the menu button and look to see what's on. I There's no one show that I can think of that I tune in for at the time it airs. A lot of times I'll just go back and do like, oh, I'll catch the last episode of Archer on demand. Exactly. I'm I'm the same. The only thing I would watch on time is sort of Top Gear, but even that was usurped by a program about dancing that shows an hour beforehand and stuff. And Yeah, don't get me started. Everything on TV is about dancing now. It used to all just be about food, but now it's about dancing as well. It's... How did that work? I never really understood the appeal of Dancing with the Stars. I've no idea. Oh, it's it's not just Dancing with the Stars. There's all kinds of programs about dancing. There's there's Dancing with the Stars, which I think I, we don't. Do we have that, or do we call it something else? Is it strictly ballroom here? Because I think your one is based on our one. But you know, I, we've been doing that an awful lot. We talked before about how there's not a whole lot of culture that's exported directly from uh, the UK to the US. Yeah. I've been looking through that and realizing how many shows we've remade or rebranded. And it's pretty staggering how much we just steal outright and slap an American sticker on. 
Yeah, there's there's quite a few like that. Um, but there's that one. There's there's got to dance on Sky One, which is that's that's ordinary people who think they can dance like professional people's people in a competition. And then there's the secret street crew where the guy who's a judge on the other one goes and teaches people how to dance who aren't very good at it. And then there's there's all kinds of but they're all about dancing and how important dance is and. I still think it's completely invalid as an art form. I think that the ones that we have are all, I mean, straight across the board, it's about judging because they're all trying to follow in the American Idol footsteps. Well, there's nothing else you could do with dance. Dance is what goes on behind the thing that's more interesting happening in front of it. Dancing is what happens behind the band you've gone to see or what else, you know, whatever. It's not, it's not a proper thing. I'm upsetting a lot of people by saying that. I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> I don't care. Do do something meaningful. Do a painting. Do a sculpture. Write a poem. All of these infinitely more valid than dance as an art form. Do you know what dance is not? It's not expressive. You're not telling me what you think or what you feel. You're just moving. I don't care. Write a poem. Seriously. Play play an instrument. Write a song about what you feel. That's that's better. Enough about me. I have my issues with dance. I don't even know dancers. I'm probably being very rude to those people now. Okay. Well, just for the sake of saving the saving the face of the program here, I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. That's and I'm going to say I don't like dance, and I don't give a crap about dance, but I don't see really any tangible difference between dance and paint. I would always recommend that for your own safety, it's best to just go against me. In whatever my, whatever <laughs> position I take, just go. I'd like to say that whatever Richard said, I disagree. Thank you. It's always better that you just are seen that way. <laughs> That's what I think. Um, so yeah, well, how long have we been going now? I feel like it's another one where I oh not not quite an hour. Not too terribly long, but uh, I'm going to admit I I do not have a whole lot more to say about Tom Selleck other than you know he's a very likable guy and. While I haven't watched Blue Bloods, I'd be willing to. It's not like I'm opposed to it or I don't think that it's you know, something that should be avoided. I just haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. I've, on the trailers, it doesn't look like it sucks or anything like that. It looks perfectly fine. I'm sure it is. Yeah. The funny thing about Tom Selleck is that he's not really a mark of quality and he's not really a black mark. You see his name on a cast list for anything and you're like, okay, well. Yeah. Let's learn more about that thing because he's not a pole and he's not a push. See, now this is this is reminding me. So the, there are a couple of things I just, you know, want to uh, be interested in your opinion on as to where they may fit in this universe. Richard Gere. Richard Gere is, is he, you know, what what the hell is he about? Is he, he's not a manly man. I'm sure, I don't think he's a manly man. I think he's a hybrid because we were talking about it's, you know the the difference between the old muscle bound and the the new lithe and I think he's he's another Bridger actor. Yeah, I I'm sure women think he's amazing because he's really nice to whores. <laughs> no, if you watch that movie, that, <laughs> no, I'm not going to get into that. That's Pretty that, Woman <laughs> did not have a good message. <laughs> no, but if you if you get a really rich client. You might be so lucky, girls. <laughs> yeah, that was. I've only seen that the one as many years ago. I'm not. I'm not going to go back to that. But you know, so you, you had that. I, I mean, and, and the lovely hair. Like he's, he's quite like Patrick Swayze. But if 
were to sit down and make a list and say, name all the badasses from Hollywood from the 1980s and 1990s, Richard Gere might come in at the very bottom of that list. But yeah, I can't you... imagine that he would... Name a role where he played someone really hard where he wasn't primarily a romantic figure. No, I can't. I, I just can't. No. You see, he, but that, I, that I would was... argue, you see, that Tom Cruise fits into this category. He's not tried to be gritty or anything until much later. In the 80s and 90s, he was always lovely hair and shiny teeth. Well, 96 was Mission Impossible. That's what you see. The manly man in there. I love Mission Impossible. That Mission Impossible is an annoyingly great film. Because (laughs) the ones that followed it were a bit substandard. I think I saw Mission Impossible 3 was on Netflix. and I plan on watching that one again because it didn't bug me. Uh, But yeah, Mission Impossible is a great film. And as I recollect, still the last time you'll see Emilio Estevez in something good. Unless yeah. He... Yeah, he disappeared, didn't he? Yeah. And then he made a, a questionable film. What was that? Bobby. I watched that. It was all right. We need a new Mighty Ducks. We do. They must be up to number seven now. Or something. And I'm almost sure that they did four. But yeah, Emilio Estevez disappeared, and I was—I remember seeing Mission Impossible for the first time and being severely, severely pissed off that he died like three minutes in. Oh God, yeah. But that—that's a—that's a dramatic thing, though. It's like killing uh, Thingy at the beginning of Scream. What's the name? Oh, right, Drew uh, Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. You get someone big name in that you think she's not going to die. She's Drew Barrymore. <laughs> Kill her in three minutes, dead. That's brilliant. And then you spend the rest of the film thinking, what the hell is going on? If they kill Drew Barrymore, then this woman's got no chance. Yeah, it's it's quite good filmmaking. Or was it was it Steven Seagal who died in the first few minutes of Executive Decision? It certainly is. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember it, being angry about that one as well. Yeah, you think it's going to be... No. Now, Kurt Russell. Because were big billing for him. Yeah, Kurt Russell. Not mentioned him all night. Surely he goes in there. Yeah, yeah. Why did Kurt Russell never come up in any of this discussion, ladies? Jack Burton, for God's sake! Well, not just Jack Burton. You got Wyatt Earp. There's a man's man for you. Oh God, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm. What? Let me look him up now. Before big trouble in Little China. Yeah. I always get it mixed up. Was it Turner and Hooch? No, it was. What was the one with him and Stallone? Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash. I always get those two mixed up. Yeah, Turner and Hooch is, uh, that's Tom Hanks with a dog. It's a uh, bad film. What else did he do? <laughs> God, he's done so much, this guy. Why keep Kurt Russell? Cause the he's thing, sat, can, Escape from New York. Snake Plissken. Could you get more of a manly man? Uh, more of a misogynist, too. And that, do you know to wear that you much? That could be. Yeah. And to wear that much leather and get away with it, that only says what a manly man he is. If you saw me in that much leather, there'd be questions asked. <laughs> I, I'm, I not saying that, I'm not saying that it's acceptable in any measure to have been a misogynist, but that did seem to be a defining factor of, uh, of the 80s superhero. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And if he could possibly smoke cigars, that would help. Like Hannibal from the A-Team. Exactly like Hannibal from the A-Team. Like Arnie in Commando. And everything. We might be in the jungle, but I've brought cigars, everyone. 
See, but d- looking at just being reminded by his, his uh, filmography, Kurt Russell did a good job of morphing from the, the muscle-bound, misogynistic, manly snake Pliskin into the the more svelte, lovely-haired other action hero, Tequila Sunrise, which is a great film uh, with him and Mel Gibson. And he's a bit more Mel Gibson-y, who also maybe did the same, a similar thing. Of more- I get the I get the vibe though coming off Kurt Russell that he never actively tried to make his looks a part of it or or make the hair a part of it that lovely mullet that he always was sporting, I I think that that was just kind of who he was and it showed up. On the other hand, you've got guys like Fabio who that's that's their identity the the hair without the hair they're not Fabio anymore. Do you know I have to warn you at this point I only know who Fabio is because in the in the eighties. There used to be a program on here called Clive James on TV. I don't know if you'll ever have heard about Clive James. Not whatsoever. You'd like his books. He's a really good writer, but that's irrelevant at this point. It was kind of, the show was a kind of, let's show you weird TV from around the world. And you can have a laugh at what weird people watch around the world. And one of those clips one time was, look, this is a man called Fabio. And people actually watch this. You have a look at it. And that's how I know who Fabio is. That's he's always entirely. been kind of a he's always been kind of a cultural joke here too, but at the same time he was the the one that the, the lady sighed over the usually the elderly housewives because he was um, for a long time the model for a lot of the fronts of the Harlequin romances. Ah, right, yeah. But it was it was very much about the well, you know, it's an interesting one because he was a big muscle bound guy, but with the long flowing hair and supposed sensitive personality so he was kind of a crossover as well we've we've stumbled on something here there's almost a book in this (laughs) i think yeah see because i still don't see tom cruise as being that man you also where does michael j fox fit into this and i think i'm i'm my opinion of him is different because i was so much younger then and to me he was as much an adult as any of these other people. See, I was going to say the exact opposite thing. I was going to say that he's a perpetual teenager. Even now, looking at him with his gray hair and wrinkles, he's he's still a teenager. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I think that that made him really relatable to everybody, and the fact that he could act the socks off of anyone only added to it. See, I just remember at the time, you wanted to, you know, the, the people that you liked in movies and that sort of thing was... See, this is the the other bit of it. Before I was old enough to watch the Arnie and Stallone films and that sort of thing, you had your, your Goonies and your Karate Kid and that sort of thing. When I was that age, I wanted to be the Karate Kid. Um, I'm trying to... I want to know when that came out now. The proper one. 84. Yeah, I was like four or five years old. And, and they were that, you know, Ralph Macchio was my action hero... It was my action movie hero. But again, because you could have been him. It was, it's the Wesley Crusher syndrome. I suppose so, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. But I, I think, yeah, it's maybe a symptom of age as well. Like being being four. Yeah, it's it's strange how things change. I wouldn't like to be him now. How old isn't he? Like sixty now, or something like that. He's getting up there. I think he's in his fifties, not quite sixty. Nineteen sixty-one, um, he was born. My God, he, he was almost thirty when he was playing that role in the Karate Kid. Yeah, that blows my mind. 
That really does. I'd, I'd love looking and seeing people in films and on TV my age that look much worse. Uh, but he, he does it the other way. It's like the, the other night there was an old episode of Seinfeld on and Judge was complaining that he was 33 years old. And I just looked at that and thought, dude, I am way <laughs> ahead of you. Ralph George Machio, born November 4th, 1961. He's older than my parents. That's just crazy. By a year. That's just crazy. To think the Karate Kid would have more to talk to your parents about than to you. No wonder they replaced him with a girl. And what did he do after My Cousin Vinny? Very little. Oh no, lots of stuff. There's nothing you've seen. Yeah, he's stayed acting. That, that makes him 50, by the way. Um... Yeah, not, not much after that. I'm not seeing a whole lot that was high profile. No, nothing. A few episodes of Ugly Betty. But I think Outer that... Limits. Yeah. Everyone's done an Outer Limits. I was on one. Everyone's <laughs> on one of those. Do you really think that he needs to work anymore, though? I don't know. What money do you make being the Karate Kid? It seems like if he had a good agent, he probably should have been able to live off that forever. You would think so, especially as it was a, a trilogy. Mind you, the remake will do it. No, would that boost sales of the original or dampen it? I don't know, because they always do the thing where the new one is out, buy the old one on DVD. Right, right. And with all the 80s nostalgia that's going on right now, I think the sales of that DVD are still, I wouldn't say brisk, but they've got to still be moving. I see that DVD on the shelves at Walmart. I nearly bought the Blu-ray last week. It was just on the list. It's not too expensive. You think, yeah, I could watch the Karate Kid again. Oh, and you always forget that he was in The Outsiders. What's The Outsiders? Oh, are you serious? Yeah. Uh, Coming-of-age movie about... Two Greasers, uh, starring C. Thomas Howell, Matt Dillon, Ralph Macchio, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, Tom Cruise. My God, I've never heard of this. Diane Lane, Leif Garrett. Directed by Francis Ford Coppola. How have yeah. I never heard of this film? Really terrific movie. I will watch that. It gets 7 out of 10 on IMDb. It's a classic. I will absolutely watch that. My God. I could even watch instantly now at the film. No, no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, yeah. So my understanding, based on your tweets and your Facebook, is that uh, Love Film does not hold a candle to Netflix? Pretty much. That's what we're discovering now that you've had Netflix for, what, a month? Two months? Two months. And I, I purposefully went and got Love Film again to compare for one of those months. And, yeah. Netflix is the far superior service. And they keep adding stuff. It's getting better and better all the time. I'm loving it. Absolutely loving it. And you can watch it on your phone, which makes it so much better, because I actually do that as well. Lisa and I are right on the cusp of uh, scaling our cable all the way down to the very smallest package that you can get and still have local channels. Right. And just going with Netflix all the time. Because that's, I mean, honestly, any given night that you walk into our house, you're probably going to see the Netflix playing in HD on the TV through the Wii. Right. It's pretty much all that the Wii gets used for (laughs) is to channel Netflix in. See, we still have to have, there's still a lot we watch on TV. And and plus the Formula One channel starts on Friday. I am looking forward to that more than anything. That's going to be awesome. 
but our cable bill keeps on going up and up and up significantly. Like over the past year, about $20, it's risen. And at the same time, they've cut all kinds of channels. So we're just kind of fed up. We're uh, You can't argue with the convenience and the selection that Netflix has. Yeah, I think we, we need a bit, a bit more of a selection before I could go to just that. But I could see it happening. Yeah, I, really uh, I do think that Netflix has a lot of room to grow still as far as getting newer releases and more worthwhile releases. Um, you can get a lot of great older movies on there. Like uh, I, I could watch Pulp Fiction right now or uh, let's see. Uh, there's there's a great old movies on there. They just don't have anything new coming out of the theaters. And that's a problem. I've heard them say they're actively working on it especially in the UK. Apparently Sky have a secret deal with all the movie companies that mean they always get all the first-run movies. Um, yeah, Time Warner has that here as well, where they advertise, hey, get it a month before you get it on Netflix. So that's um, that's that's a problem that Netflix is going to have to overcome. Yeah, but there's, there's loads of stuff on here. Yeah. Just loads but- of Netflix US is already running into trouble with that. That's that's kind of the big battleground right now between the cable companies and the uh, satellite companies and the streaming providers. Uh, Netflix just lost out on its agreement with Stars. Yeah. So all the Stars movies are going to be disappearing from streaming. Is that a lot of movies? That's quite a few movies, and it's honestly, I mean, it's a lot of the big budget ones. Right. I'm not talking about like the little documentaries or the 1930s Charlie Chaplin collection. We're talking about, you know, the the releases from the past two or three years. Right. Fair enough. That sounds yeah. There aren't really any releases from the last two or three years on here that I'm looking at now. I mean, there's loads of stuff. There's, I think, nearly the complete back catalog of movies you should see is on here. Lives of Others, There Will Be Blood, Annie Hall. It almost sounds like you have a better selection of some of that stuff than we do. Because honestly, where U.S. Netflix thrives is in the TV market. Yeah, our TV market is somewhat... It's it's smaller, and it's got a lot of... Well, there's, there's a lot of English stuff there as well, obviously. Um, but that's kind of all there is at the moment. I'm I'm still waiting for I'd like the big American series to come on, and that sort of thing. I noticed Rescue Me is being added, and that was one I was ah such a good show. I yeah. love Dennis Leary. See, I yeah. was intended to watch this one. Oh shit, it's starting. Don't play it. We've yeah. got uh, you can flip it on and watch South Park, Scrubs, Married with Children, Thirty Rock, uh, two or three of the Star Trek series, um, Doctor Who's on there, Arrested Development, Pawn Stars. I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that we're watching in our house. Uh, Wonder Years is on there. See, that's a good one I'd rewatch. Whereas we have things like the IT Crowd, Faulty Towers, Peep Show, Doctor Who, Little Britain. There's be lots of stuff you've never heard of, like Saxondale, Nighty Night, Yes, Prime Minister, The Royal Family, God, God, and Bloody Ramsey. Well, of those, I can uh, I can confirm that the IT crowd is on U.S. Netflix streaming. I love that show. Darren Brown. Have you ever heard of Darren Brown? Uh, hip- hypnotist? No, can't, I can see why you'd think that. It, more an illusionist, extraordinaire sort of thing. He, he messes with your head. 
is, ah, okay. is an I, adequate I, description of saying what he does. It's you can tell how much I've heard of him then. Yeah. <laughs> See, I thought he'd be huge. Mind you, you just—he's one of those guys who you think you're only not running the world because you've decided not to. <laughs> you know, yeah. be unstoppable if you decide. If you woke up one morning and thought, you know, I—I I, I want to be king of the world, he could. <laughs> And no one would know to stop him. It would be like that. But we've got Breaking Bad, Dexter, that's on there. Twin Peaks, I'm not going to watch that. 24. But then it all just goes into English stuff. Yeah. Like Inspector Morse. Have you ever heard of Inspector Morse? I have. I couldn't tell you what it's about. It's just a police program, really. Well, about I mean, I was going to say that, yeah. but I figured it was too obvious. But no, it's, that's, that is all it is, really. It's, it's, it's called Inspector Morse. I bet you can't guess his rank, you know, it's, and his surname. <laughs> it's all there, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, we are way off base here. Perhaps we should end and you can go. It's, uh, it's pretty far off from yeah. Tom Selleck. What's on Netflix this week? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I think next week uh, we had agreed to do a little bit of an overview of the 90s. Yes, the 90s. In in general, it's just basically our experiences growing up in the nineties. That's that's what I'm taking away from that. Yeah, I because I think we're going to get a great deal of differences between our two experiences. I think so as well. I think it's going to be radically, radically different. Yeah, this this is what I like about this show. Absolutely, God, I found a website in the nineties dot com. This is I'm going to lose the rest of my night on this. Actually, TV trivia. There I go. Yep. Okay, that's the rest of my night and possibly weekend. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, um, if you want, if you guys want to email us, do that. So, uh, remastered at simplysyndicated.com. Do you know what I'd like to ask our listeners to do that would help us out more, about as much as sending a million pounds? What's that? On on all our podcasts on the website, there's little Facebook buttons and Twitter buttons and buttons that spread the news of the existence of these shows on any social network that you can think of. And they're right there, and you just click them, and it does it. And that helps other people discover what we're doing and our shows and that sort of thing. And no one ever clicks these buttons. No one ever clicks it. And I refuse to accept that's because no one's on Facebook. So what actually would really help us out a great deal is telling people about these shows by clicking these buttons because it's so the minimal effort required and it helps us out just so much because you know if you you know we want a bigger audience however big our audience is and you want to grow things so we need to spread the word of our shows and, and our listeners can help us do that so easily and no one ever clicks these buttons so i want to get people clicking these buttons retweeters Tweet that the show is happening or that you've listened to it or something like that. Put something on Facebook. The buttons are all there. That's basically it. I think that's a terrific idea. And I know that there's lots of people listening because I look at those stats. So um, if everyone that listened told one other person, I think we'd be in a really nice spot. Absolutely. If everybody who listened to a show, especially, do you know what? If you you listen on iTunes and you just, or your phone or something like that, and you never really visit the website, then I kind, I get it. You know, I wouldn't go to the website of a a podcast network just to tweet for their, their thing. But people listen on the website. 
people click the play button that is literally less than a centimeter away from the share this on Facebook button. And to those people, when you click play, then go and hit the tweet button that's right below it. And that would be awesome. We, you know, if because we see, you know, when someone tweets about a show, it shows up on my tweet deck. And God, I think when was the last one? A few days ago at the earliest. Um, yeah, the last one was a day ago and the one before that was four days ago. You know, it's just, it helps us out so much. If I could see just loads of people tweeting our stuff, that would be awesome. So thank you for doing that in advance. That's not to say that we would turn down a donation if you wanted to drop Oh yeah, if, you, if you've got a million pounds, by all means, <laughs> the pay, you know, the donate button's on the website. That number can go as high as you like. Don't you feel bad about that at all? I think that we should set a sponsorship limit. Like if somebody wants to donate 10,000 uh, pounds, we'll name this show after you. I'm fine with that, actually. Yeah. We'll call it the George Brown Show. Unless you name something else. And then, yeah. <laughs> yes, it would be very awkward it's, otherwise. It's, it's negotiable, the details. But yeah, we'd do that. I'd be up for that. Yeah. So, okay then. So should we end this show and, and, and you can go and get political? I think that's a good spot to end for this evening because, yes, I do have to run to work and talk politics. But uh, loved doing the show tonight. This was a good one, Rich. It was. I, I have a good feeling about this one as well. And I'm now really, really looking forward to talking to you about the 90s. Me too as well. Me too. Okay, thank you for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Have a good one.